Welcome to Faith, Reason, and Geekdom. I'm Roger. And I'm Dusty. My brothers and sisters in Christ join us every Thursday as we work out these three perspectives in our everyday lives. Well, today, Roger, we have a very, I think, different kind of show. The gentleman that we have on is a dear friend. I've known him for a great portion of my life. We used to play basketball together in high school. He was the tallest guy on the team, um, which actually is kind of a trip now because he, um, well, you know, he wears a special habit for his new job. Uh, actually it's not a new job it's a job he's been doing for a while okay but but the question is how do how do you get a couple of guys who went to catholic school who um meet later on in life uh-huh. and one of them is a buddhist monk oh uh, and and that's not me yeah that's that's my friend, <laughs> okay. my friend previously known <laughs> as ralph ruiz who i went to central catholic high school with and now is known as bonte yakum and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I was walking with Bonte Yakum um, at a grocery store in Southern California a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. And it was the trippiest thing for me because Ralph is taller than I am. I'm like six, six, two, six, and two that's and tall for Hispanic too. Hispanic tall people. Like, yeah. What is this? What's well, this? Ra- Ralph actually played basketball later, like for the Puerto Rican team, if cool. I remember correctly. Like, um, so, so Ra- we want to welcome to the podcast before I say, any- oh, Wait, let me finish. I was saying we're walking to the grocery store, right? And I'm here walking with this guy who's like, I don't know, six five, six six, and <laughs> he's dressed like a Buddhist monk because he is a Buddhist monk. And you have a lot of Buddhists in in Southern California, uh, especially you know a lot of Asian uh, community there. So they would come up and they would sort of you know bow down to him and stuff. And I was just like, what in the world? This is so <laughs> weird to me. But I wanted I wanted to have him on our podcast because Ralph or sorry, Bonte, Yakum and I uh, really like each other. We love spending time together as friends and looking at life and especially spiritual um, aspects of life together, even though we are on separate sides of the mountain. Welcome, Bonte, Yakum. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I became a heathen, but you can just call me Bonte. OK, Bonte. Yeah. I went. I went. I went against the grain uh, uh, many years ago, and uh, uh, but this is my lot in life now. Now, tell us about your your religious order, or like how this all fits into place. How does this work in Buddhism? Yeah. So it's just like Christianity. There's different schools and traditions and uh, rules, regulations, hierarchies, and uh, uh, Buddhism is basically set in two major uh, schools. One is the Mahayana, and one is the Theravada, or Theravada. Uh, the Theravada being the older uh, tradition, and the Mahayana being uh, what's called the greater wheel, which came later on. Like a Reformation. Came- wow, that's crazy. Yeah, like the Reformation. Almost. Yeah, it's 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 like the Reformation, uh, and this is the school that you have uh, 
Uh, the Dalai Lama is part of the Mahayana tradition. Uh, the, uh, the Greater Wheel, or they call the Western Pure Land. Uh, Zen, Soto Zen Buddhism is also uh, part of that attachment. And then the Theravadan is where you find a lot, of, especially in Thailand, Sri Lanka, uh, Vietnam, uh, and some of the, the Southeast Asian countries. So there's a lot of similarities about the, the evolution of Buddhism over the centuries. Now, what's interesting is that you ended up on this journey in a very personal way, and you have um, sort of an entity that you call Invictus. Um, uh, let's let's get into that a little bit, and 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 let's certainly touch upon the thing that I know about you, which is you read, like you had wall to wall books. Uh, you are a very big reader, even in high school, and, and and you sort of came to to these truths, right? Tell us a little bit about that. For some reason, I'd always been interested in man's search for the meaning of life. And it was a movie. I'm really big into movies because I'm a firm believer that art imitates life. Yeah, yeah. welcome to the right podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. It was a specific movie which started me on this torturous journey, which was a Bill Murray movie in the early 80s called The Razor's Edge. It's about a guy trying to find out his, his lot in life. And so I was very uh, attracted to that movie so much that my life has kind of been patterned after it, which is hmm. uh, one amazing failure after another. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Welcome to the club as well. It was just that uh, it was an inner struggle I was having because I, I could not help the way I felt like I was being pushed. When I was, uh, when I was 19, and I was always at church. I mean, I went to church quite often. And when I was 19, I had to fill a class my freshman year in, in college. And I took a class on Indian philosophy. Interesting. And I learned my very first class was on the Atman and Brahman, the God within our, each of us, ourself, and then the greater supreme Godhead, Brahman. I went and was studying about Jainism and about, and it came to Buddhism. And I was kind of like, wow, this is really interesting. And it fit me, you know? So I started to, uh, to start reading uh, religion as a whole. So I read the Bhagavad Gita, Upanishads, the Vedas, the Mahabharata, the Quran, the Bible, uh, I've read the Bible, you know, three times uh, in my life and really would contemplate on it so that at late at night, sometimes I wouldn't go to sleep because I'd just be thinking about these different aspects of this. And it sometimes becomes torturous and you feel like you're going crazy. Uh, I got involved in the restaurant business and ended up becoming a chef. And as you know, um, I made Gordon Ramsay look like Mother Teresa. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, oh my was, goodness. I was, order. A, 
brutal, brutal, uh, egotistical, arrogant, saboteur, uh, you know, just so full of myself and so deep in addictions and, and uh, of various sorts. And it caused me great suffering. But at the end of the day, I'd be back in my room wherever, wherever I was just contemplating this stuff called spirituality. And I found this Theravadan temple in California. And I called him and I said, hey, I would like to come and visit, and learn more about Buddhism. And the person said, where are you calling from? I said, well, I'm calling from Texas, from San Antonio, Texas. He said, oh, we have a big temple there. And our, our, our head monk, uh, he's living there now. And I, I spent uh, a lot of time there, uh, but was not getting any knowledge. January 17th of 2017, my doctor said, look, you need to stop being a chef because it's killing you. Is that from the stress, like the anger and the stress? Stress. stress wow, and, that's interesting. Yeah. It's you weren't playing. You know, I was, but I was one of those, uh, I guess you would say, uh, mad scientist type guys. I was mm. so obsessed with it. And uh, I was so obsessed with cooking. And, uh, you know, and you're working 80 hours a week, literally. You're working from 8 o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. And you go home and you can't sleep because you're staring at the ceiling. So you would go and hang out with your friends and, and, and tranquilize yourself. And so I, I realized, well, what am I going to do now? You know, I'm, I'm having severe, serious physical ailments because of this whole lifestyle I live. So what I did was I said, well, looks like, what do I want to do now? And I couldn't do anything else. I didn't want to do anything. The only other thing I thought I wanted to do was to be a monk. Something that since I was 19 years old, when I first, or in my mid-20s, when I first went, early 20s, when I first went into that first temple, Wat Bucha in San Antonio, I thought, I want to try this. That sparked it. Yeah. And so, but I had been in different temples and I'd stayed on retreats and stuff like that. So whenever I would burn out as a chef, immediately I would go into a temple. So I think I burned out like five times in my life. So it became a, a real source of strength for you. You found you found something there that would sustain you and feed you. It becomes a refuge. And that's what the whole part of Buddhism is, is you go into a temple for refuge. Here's where the ethnocentric part of it, because you go to a, a Thai temple and they're like, no, we don't want to deal with you. You know, you're you're a white guy. And, they don't feel comfortable with you because you don't share similarities in language and culture. And really? It happened. Yes. Oh. Yes. You were not welcome. And it happened in several occasions where I was here in Houston. And then I, I ran into a monk who was so happy. Just come on, you know, come visit, come, come visit the temple. You know, one thing about chef is chefs is good chefs is we do not suffer fools lightly. We call we call BS right away. 
And so that was always keeping me was I was going into a temple. I would see something. I was like, yeah, nah, they're, they're not no good. Or they're, they're, you know, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you an example. You go into a temple and then they're wanting you to bow at their feet and rub their, you know, rub, you know, put your head on their feet and totally supplicate yourself to them. Not to the religion, but to them personally. And they are trying to get acolytes. And they're trying to get people to follow them because of their ego. They want to build up their ego. We see it in all across the religious spectrum. Over the many hours of discussion, he's like, I can't teach you nothing, so just practice. You already know what to do. You just have to put it into action. I came across this poem called Invictus. And this poem perfectly describes Buddhism. Okay, let's hear it. But it's deep. First little background. It was written by William Ernest Henley, who lived from 1848 to 1903. He was a poet and an author and an editor. His best friend was Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote Treasure Island. Stevenson wrote the character of Long John Silver based on uh, William Ernest Henley, his buddy. And he wrote this poem called Invictus, and it's Latin for invincible. This poem, Nelson Mandela used to recite it every day as his prayer, and it goes like this. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I neither winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, nor charge with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Beautiful. And that was the moment when I decided that's what I, this is what I need to do. I wanted to see if it was possible for me to I wanted to find out if this thing called nirvana or enlightenment, what it was and if it was actually possible or if it was just a myth that we tell ourselves just to make ourselves feel better. Um, and I think, I, I don't know if that movie is based off of it in Yes. right? Yes. Okay. I, I figured I was like, well, yeah, it's a poem. Uh, let me ask you, do you believe that like all religions have some element of truth as uh, some of the, the, the church fathers would, would say a circle of truth, whereas some have more degrees than the other, some are closer to the center, but that in essence, through history, thousands of years of even way before that, that there is elements of truth in all religions and that there's similarities that there is a foretelling of something to come. Uh, how do you feel about that? In Buddhism, we call it 
patija samupada or dependent origination, which means mm. that nothing exists without something being exist in existence before it. Sure. So we see much as you had the first Christians and then they break they break apart and you have the different schools that come up. And it's mainly based on politics and power. You talked about the Reformation. Martin Luther was upset because of the corruption we saw in the Catholic Church. Breaking off from the dependency of the Catholic Church and from Rome, a new uh, form. But it goes against with all religions. But there is a source, and, and there's different opinions about it. In the Old Testament, Jesus was called Jesus of Nazareth. The reason why is because back in the days, nobody had last names. Evolves from Jesus of Nazareth to Jesus Christ. And that event was the temptation. He goes out to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he is tempted by Satan. And after he defeats Satan, he's taken up to heaven. He sat in between Abraham and Moses which when you sit in the between of leaders, that means you're the head guy. That's why the king had the queen on one side and the prince on the other. This is the leader of the church. And then after that, he goes down to, to earth. He takes about poverty, about celibacy. He lives off alms and not tithes. Preaches about love, peace, equanimity, compassion, forgiveness, etc. That's great. 500 years before this incident, a man named Gautama, uh, uh, Siddhartha Gautama goes into the Indian wilderness for 49 days and nights, and he is tempted by Mara, the Hindu equivalent, equivalent of Satan. Once he defeats Mara, Mara says, well, who's going to be your witness? He puts his hands down to the earth. He says, my, the earth will be my witness. He then takes about poverty, about celibacy, and he preaches, lives off alms. He Preaches about love, peace, equanimity, forgiveness, compassion. It's the same story. Or did one borrow from the other? Oh, even the Greeks, Aristotle, Plato, even, even before other religions, have this anticipation of something to come. And they may not get the full, but they touch on something interesting. And just like going back to what you talked about is like Jesus going in the desert, getting tempted for 40 days. That's based off, I, I'm not too sure about the, the 500 years later or earlier, but I do know it's based off of the Old Testament, the 40 days and 40 nights going back like the desert wanderings. Because when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he's like, behold, Lamb of God, and he baptized Jesus in the Jordan. So once Jesus himself has to go into the water, he comes out of the water that represents Moses leading his people through the waters, through the waters, through Egypt. And after that, where does uh, Moses and his people go? They go to the desert, 40, right? They, they wander around They get before they go to the promised land. Well, that's Jesus getting. He gets tempted by the devil. What does he get tempted with? He gets tempted with power. They get tempted by power. Yeah, They want to go to ball. They want to the golden calf. And all these temptation that Jesus has. You know, why don't you uh, uh, feed yourself? Do this. He has to fast from that. And to that, that's a parallel to the Old Testament and you know the exodus and all of that so i do see how there's pieces going from old to new to maybe some of the greeks some of the other you know mesopotamian kind of 
uh, religion. So what is specifically, what do they teach about Jesus um, in, in, in Buddhism that, that you can kind of lay out? Well, one of the things I wanted to say first was about religious connectivity. When we, we have to look at, at, at things objectively. Mm-hmm. And that's a very hard thing to do because we want information wisdom to fit in our narrative. In the previous podcast, when you were talking with Father Berg, you were talking, uh, uh, Dusty was talking about Tepeyac. Mm. And I'll give you a quick example. The Aztecs, the Aztecs, they had a a mother goddess, which you'll find in a lot of pagan religions, as we say, Mother Nature. Mm-hmm. And her name was Tocachin uh, Coal. Uh, Kualate, the, the mother nature goddess of the Aztecs. Well, she lived on top of Tepia. Is a woman. Now, as far as Jesus and the Buddha is concerned, they are so similar. If you were to read, you know, if we were to get rid of all of the Bible, and the only thing that we had was the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. this is all we would really need to, to understand Jesus' teachings. The Buddhist Bible is volumes and volumes and volumes of books, 40 thick books. There's one part called the Dhammapada, the path of the Dharma. It's like the Sermon on the Mount. It explains everything. Jesus and the Buddha are brothers from another mother because it talks about the uselessness of violence, of sin, or you want to develop yourself to become not a human being, but a humane being. Is Buddha is he fundamental to Buddhism? No, no. Like for Christians, you have to have Christ. you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Does the believer have to believe in the Buddha, or can he just follow the teachings of Buddhism? Is it fundamental? I know exactly what you're saying. First of all, the Buddha did not claim to be a, a god. Yeah, yeah. His sole purpose was to answer the question, he puts it like this, is there a point or meaning to human life that makes it worth living even in the face of death? He was, he, because we talk about uh, the attachment from one religion to another and, and all like I've just said, but, you know, the, the Buddha grew up in a very important time uh, in world history called the Axial Age. And that's where you have Aristotle, Confucius, you know, you had all, you have uh, Zoroaster, mm-hmm. you have all of these religions that are popping up. And when you look at the history and the psychology behind it, it's very logical. But the Buddha says, he's just like a teacher. The important thing is the path the understanding of Dharma. Dharma uh, being the truth, the the truth of the nature of reality. Yeah. That's all he was concerned with. That's why that poem in Victus, he says, and the one part that says, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. Mm -hmm. There's no dependence on the outside source. It's all dependent to be a Buddhist on self-reliance, and that's one of the that's one of the things with, that I've um, 
been sort of pondering over the years as we studied. And I remember when we were in high school, Ralph, we 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 spent, I think, junior or senior year studying all the major religions of the world. And, and the whole theory was, if you come back to Catholicism at the end, that's going to make you a stronger Catholic because you've been able to pick up stuff from every from from everywhere and kind of test it against our own faith. But but the one thing that you just said was was something that I took at face value. I've never really studied deeply into it, but that self-reliance, um, the the inner strength, the so forth. Uh, it, it, I really need the Holy Spirit to help me to become a better person, to help me overcome um, addictions or 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 whatever. Right. So how how does that work in Buddhism? Does that am I am I making a literal sort of translation there? Does that go across we, the bridge? We, we understand because in our religion, what I'm saying is my own view of things because okay. in the organization as a whole, there is extreme dependency on the Buddha. They say, oh, the, let pray to the Buddha, let the Buddha forgive us. But the Buddha's not here. The Buddha is, the Buddha is, is it's called the wheel of samsara, that we are reborn to suffer again and again through reincarnation. And there's various levels of life. There's there's heavens, there's hells, but nothing is permanent. Everything goes away. It eventually dissolves into something else. So people need uh, people need that. There is a deep sense of somebody's need to believe in whatever it is. It makes your life better. There is, there is a, a profound effect that belief has in something. And this has been changed to believe on. The Buddhists say that this is our faith. But when you read what the Buddha actually said, a Buddhist should not have faith. Faith should not be any part of a Buddhist. Okay. And I'll give you the reason why. And this is according to my view. Okay. Faith is the absolute belief in something with no evidence. The Buddha says in one of his sutras, I have a diamond in my hand, and my hand is clenched closed. I can tell you that I have a diamond in my hand. You can have faith that I'm telling you the truth. You can believe that what I say is true. But I open my hand, and I show you. I put it in your hand. We go, we have it verified that it's a diamond. Because once that happens... There's no more need for faith. There's no more need for belief. The word, that term that is used in the, in the Pali is sata, which means knowing. This is 100%. I know this. So you and I have always had some theological discussions and, and just using things that pop up in our lives. Uh, we... We call on each other and we say, hey, what do you think of this? Or what do you think I should do to handle this? 
and we rely on each other. And I think it's beautiful that we can do that across our faiths. Uh, where do you see the biggest um, parallels, perhaps, in our faiths, uh, and maybe even some of the biggest differences? The biggest parallels of our faith is is the journey to develop compassion and altruism and empathy and forgiveness and empathy and all of those great aspects about it <clears throat> i think the difference is is that and, and, and understand that i'm not trying to argue against your religion or your faith i'm not okay. doing that. i'm trying to compare apples with apples and the difference is, is that especially you find it in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the Old Testament is the belief that, well, if you don't believe, if you don't have faith in us, then you're going into hell. And that is how people control the masses. It becomes a political governmental aspect of religion. That's why religion was the government of the time back in the old days. And that's why we're seeing such scary revelations in our, our in the United States now, because you have people that are preaching this hate. One of the, the most important parts of the Buddhist teachings called the Mahasatipatthana Sutta. And he's pre, he's talking, the Buddha's talking to this people, the Kuru people. Well, 400 years later, you have the Hindu, the Bhagavad Gita, because Buddhism spread like wildfire through, north, through northern India, through that, the Central Asian northern India. So the Hindus, the Brahmanic castes, they were like, well, wait, we're losing control. How do we gain back control? Well, they wrote the Bhagavad Gita, part of the Mahabharata. But... The Bhagavad Gita takes place in the land of the Kurus. So you see how it's not the message of the prophets and saints. It's the average person or the leaders of the churches of various faiths that corrupt it. And it's this corruption is what causes other faiths to become in existence, to break off from the previous faith. That's why we have, uh, uh, you know, that's why we have Lutheranism and, and all of these breakoffs. Um, I want to go back to something that you had said. I was trying to take notes uh, on the similarities, the compassion, altruism. I, I think I would agree with that on the similarity, but in, in our faith, it teaches us also that if Jesus was just like a good teacher, just about moral, like if, if Christianity is just about uh, moralism, then then we are, are are dead. We're not saved because it's more than uh, just a good teacher or or saying nice platitudes. Uh, yeah. He has to be savior. And I was yeah. going to ask you too: Do you believe that God, you know, capital God, G God? Do you believe that He revealed Himself in a historical sense? When, he, when God did reveal himself, he wasn't a very nice person. I mean, look what he did in the Old Testament. Look what he did to the land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey, when he issued a ban on the Canaanites. 
which meant that he told Moses, you go in there and you kill everything. You had to clean the area so that you can come in. He was a war god, much like Zeus and Jupiter. I wasn't too sure how, like, how, how, like, the conversation was was gonna go. So um, <laughs> I'm trying to like, trying to, I'm like, I want to jump in, but you're our guest. I don't want to interrupt a lot, but I have to, no, 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 <laughs> I have to a little bit because I stay fun. This is, it's, I love this. Uh, but I just want to say real quick because I, I kind of want to go back to the history, but real quick, I have to. I've, God in the Old Testament, like you said, wiped out like Canaanites. Quick things we do have to remember, like if God is the author of life, you know, we're not promised how we go or how we die. We're uh, human beings part of the deal is that we are finite creatures and that we can't live here forever also too there is very uh catholic theology the catholic church hasn't came down definitively there's no official teaching on exactly what that was uh and we're free to speculate that theologians have said that that is a, a hyperbole like when when the spurs for example uh i know this will never happen but <laughs> if we say hey the spurs <laughs> they just killed they killed LeBron and his team. They wiped them off the map. Well, not really, because in the Old Testament, you pointed out, like, in the Old Testament, um, how they wiped out the Canaanites. But then, like, a hundred years later, or, or it might have been decades later, we hear the older prophets talk about the Canaanites. And we're like, wait, what? I thought they were... I thought they were wiped out. Like, so that's a little... But 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 I, I want to continue on, on the historical... Because uh, uh, historical sense, but I just had it real quick to clear it up because I understand that argument definitely. But like as a historical, uh, like a historical person, did God himself, is it fitting that he would reveal himself historically? That's better. <laughs> well, now here's just logic coming into play. If he were to reveal himself historically, why did he choose a very small, little, tiny plot of land in the Middle East? Why couldn't he uh, reveal himself to the whole world and not have to depend on the spread of religion to do so? Yeah, I will see that's but, exactly. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. But that does not mean that he does not exist. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. If I have, if I have an apple in my hand, and a friend comes from Mexico, he goes, "Hey, that's a little manzana." <laughs> yeah. And I say, "No, man, it's an apple." <laughs> and we start arguing yeah. about the identity of something. But it doesn't change how yeah. it's made, where it grows, stuff like that. When, define the terms. You got to define the when, terms. When Dusty talked about, and this is something that I had, we talked about, and I told him, I said, we're all looking up at the same summit, at the same mountain. We're just mm -hmm. on different sides of the mountain. We look to the left, and we look to the right. And we don't see anybody, so we think that we have the only view. It does not change the aspect of God, Allah, Krishna, Vishnu, or, or in our religion, Karma, Dharma. We don't give it a characteristic of God. Mm -hmm. We don't call it, we, it's just the truth. It is within all of us, every 
every atom that's in existence is all part of it. Real quick, when I was 19 years old, I started dating this girl when I was going to college, and her uncle came from Hollywood. And he was a he was in the movies. He was a, uh, a producer, I guess. I don't know. Dusty knows more than that. Mm -hmm. but I, uh, you know those producers. They're all the same. And, and <laughs> yeah, those, those encourage more. Anyway, so, so he said, I was, we were talking about my class in that Indian philosophy class, and he goes, let me tell you a story. So this guy right, becomes Buddhist, and he writes this script, and it goes crazy. It's hugely popular. And he's writing it on the fundamentals of Buddhism. The Force. <laughs> whenever, yes, it's Star Wars. The Jedi Knights are Buddhist monks. Mm -hmm. Queen Amidala yeah. is the acronym that every letter in Queen Amidala is the Dalai Lama, the same letters. You have Yota, which is... Uh, which is uh, oh, in Buddhist folklore was this giant titan, the strongest being yeah. ever. What about and, Chewy? Chewy, I thought he was I just a know, Mexican. I, just like, I, like, hey, Chewy, hey, Chewy, <laughs> and R two D two is like whistling. Remember, I don't know, it was like a yeah. joke like that. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but but you see, it comes down to this, and that's what Father Bird said something. It all comes down to one thing, whether it's Christianity or Buddhism. It's about suffering. You're preaching to the we, choir. We're two Catholics. You're, you're just preaching yeah. to the entire choir, suffering. We love that stuff. We can't yeah. get enough. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. definitely suffering. And that is the understanding, and that is why we are so fervent in our religious beliefs, because we're trying to overcome it. Bonte, you'll have to come back at some point. Maybe when, when there's like a big news event or something that we can't make sense of, maybe we can all try to figure it out together because it's really interesting talking to you. And um, I, I, I know that you're, you're, you're on Facebook. Are you on Twitter or anywhere that we can put in our show notes? Maybe people can find you. No, it's just uh, the Invictus Buddhist Project mm -hmm. on Facebook. Okay. And uh, the, the uh, email is invictus.buddhism at gmail. If uh, people want to contact me or open up a dialogue or have opinions or stuff like that, or just want to see, uh, uh, want to get a different perspective on this thing yeah. that we call life. Yeah, we definitely have to have you back on because um, it's so hard to find people with other religions that truly believe what they believe, right? Like you said, obviously, if you if you're like indifferent, then you don't really believe what you believe. You're like, ah, whatever. But you have to do it the right way with compassion, with love, understanding, a good debater, good arguments, like the classic word of arguments, not nowadays, but you have to have good arguments with people, the classical word. And it's hard to find that. And so I can tell off the back that you're that type. Because I wouldn't know what to expect when I was coming into this interview. And so when I heard you saying some stuff, which is good, again, you, you're you supposed to kind of like, uh, not critique, but you're supposed to criticize. And then I was like, I don't know what hat to wear, because I've done a few debates on the show. So I was like, uh, I was like, okay, I was like, I can tell, though, that you're 
uh, not afraid, but you're also um, generous in uh, dialoguing. So we have to do a dialogue with you again, because I, I wasn't too sure how this was going to go, but I can tell you're going to be good for that. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank Enjoyed you. it. Really, it was really fun. And many blessings to the both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. Good night. All right. This has been Faith, Reason, and Geekdom. God love you.